Well, welcome back to The Breakdown. I'm Senator James Langford, and we're having a conversation about labor law today. Now, before you turn it off, it'll actually be an interesting conversation about what's happening in the economy, what's happening in unemployment, where we're headed, the effects of COVID-19 on the future economy, but you know how we are in The Breakdown. The Breakdown is designed to be able to take some of the big conversations of the day, to be able to go into the details of those and to try to make you the smartest kid on the Zoom call or at the water cooler if you get to go back to the office. Uh, the goal of this dialogue is to try to take you a little bit deeper in something you hear about in the news. And there is a lot of news and conversation right now about unemployment, about places looking for new work, uh, trying to be able to reopen people in restaurants and convenience stores, can't expand their hours to be able to continue to provide the service because they can't find enough labor. Uh, it's a big issue and it's complicated, quite frankly, uh, with a lot of background in it. So uh, we bring in somebody in to be able to talk more in depth that I'm gonna introduce in just a moment. But if you're involved in the, uh, the breakdown at any point, you know that you can always subscribe to us at all the major podcasting platforms on Spotify, uh, on, on all of them. So be able to go and check those out, uh, do a subscription there, and uh, we'll make sure we notify you every time that there's a new breakdown that's coming out. Uh, today, we have a special guest. It's Gene Scalia. Uh, he is the former Secretary of Labor uh, under the Trump administration. 2019 to 2021, he was Secretary of Labor. Uh, but he has served as a partner in the Washington, D.C. law office of Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. Uh, he does labor and employment law, uh, which is incredibly complicated, uh, to say the least, as we go through this. So we're going to talk through some of those details on it. Uh, he also served as the solicitor at the Department of Labor 2002 to 2003. He's the only person ever to serve as the solicitor of the Department of Labor, then late, later as the Secretary of Labor as well. He's done a lot of work with the Americans with Disability Act. He does a lot of things with discrimination matters and employment law, uh, but he just deals a lot with the regulatory environment as well. How does it work in actual labor law? Uh, so whether you're protecting uh, workers or whether you're actually providing a good workplace to be able to actually expand and be able to grow, he's worked on all those areas. In all this, his spare time, uh, he is also married to Trish. Uh, they have seven children. Uh, and that name, Gene Scalia, may ring a little bell for a few folks. You are the son of uh, former Justice Scalia. And uh, so that's quite a heritage to be able to grow up as well. And you ended up in the law. So let's say the uh, fruit didn't fall very far from the tree uh, at that point and the things that you've been engaged in. Thanks for being a part of this conversation and being so engaged and for your service as the Secretary of Labor before. Thank you, Senator. I'm thrilled to be here. It's great to join you. Yeah, glad to be able to join in the yeah. conversation on this. So th this is a dialogue and I'm gonna pick your brain on some things. There's a lot going on with labor law right now and there's a lot going on in the economy. We're watching the economy just accelerate rapidly uh, right now with a lot of folks heading back to work. Uh, and that's a good thing, uh, but there's also a lot of openings. Uh, we have a record number of openings that are around the country. You've been tracking this still. I mean, obviously you're not Secretary of Labor any longer, uh, but you're still tracking kind of openings and what's happening in our economy. What do you see is happening in the economy right now? Um, well, I think there's a lot of good news and uh, it's important to keep that in mind. You touched on some of it. Uh, it helps to go back to where we were in February, 2020. I think it's really important to remember where we were right before the virus hit because we had an historic economy. We had unemployment at a 50-year uh, low. Uh, we were creating jobs at a record pace. We were doing much, much better than had been projected by the Congressional Budget Office before President Trump came in. Wages were rising, and then if you looked at whose wages were rising, they were rising more for lower-paid workers. That's why the President in his 2020 State of the Union address called it uh, the, a, a blue-collar boom. It was just an extraordinary time. 
Um, COVID sideswiped us horribly oh, yeah. in a lot of different ways, uh, including economically. And we had unemployment uh, shoot up to nearly 15%. But uh, by May of last year, by a year ago, we were making a very strong comeback. And that, to a large extent, was the story uh, over, over the past year. Uh, we, uh, there, we continue to see good news in manufacturing, uh, in the service sector. Uh, we have seen uh, very strong job creation by and large since uh, we hit that low point in April 2021. But there are parts of that, you know, really good Trump economy that remain, right. uh, including, you know, when I was Labor Secretary, almost the entire time as Labor Secretary, when I would travel around the country, meet with business people, they would tell me, my biggest concern is finding skilled workers. Mm. And that's still true, and it's actually gotten worse. 8.1 million job openings. Uh, the, the, it's a record, as, as you mentioned. And uh, we've never seen this uh, number of job openings. And um, we still have too many people unemployed. There still are some sectors that aren't all the way back uh, from COVID. But we've brought unemployment much lower than people had projected. Uh, going back again to April 2020, the projections were that you know, we'd be at 12, uh, even 14 percent unemployment the end of 2020, we got it down to nearly 6%. So we did very well, but there are signs now that maybe we're hitting some headwinds too. Yeah, so in, in Oklahoma, we have more job openings in Oklahoma than we've ever had in the history of record keeping in Oklahoma. We have so many places that are hiring. You, you can drive down the street, it's like every place you drive past has a help wanted sign out front. Every person I talk to says we're hiring and we're looking for people and trying to figure out how to be able to get people re-engaged. Is that true in all sectors of the economy nationwide, or is that in certain regions? Or what we're seeing in, in Oklahoma, is that an anomaly, or is it the same everywhere? It's what's going on in, um, I think you could say, in a majority of the states, actually. Um, when we talk about the unemployment rate, you know, we throw out the national number, which right. is 6.1 percent. It actually went up just a tick. Uh, it was 6 percent in, um, in, in March. Um, but in a way, that number is very misleading right now. If you look at Oklahoma, I think you're at 4.3%. Right. Um, there are 26 states below 5% unemployment right now. 5% um, unemployment, I think, is generally considered pretty good. Um, right. Trump did a lot better, but 5% considered really good. But um, New York, 8.2%. California, 8.3%. You know, you and I understand why Hawaii is at 8.5% unemployment, I travel, Tourism, hotels, right. um, but why is New York, or why is California the second highest? Why is New York, uh, I think, third? Uh, there are other issues going on in the economy right now, very different than what you're seeing in Oklahoma. Okay, so can I poke a little uh, statistical question in here as well? Uh, some people I run into will say, unemployment, we need it to be at 0%. Is there such a thing as zero percent unemployment number? What what is what is full employment? What what is when you're looking in the magic kingdom that you work in in the Department of Labor and tracking through all the numbers? What's kind of the statistical number you're looking for for full employment? Is it zero? Uh, you'll never see zero percent unemployment. Okay. A lot of people thought you would never see three point five percent unemployment again, but that's where we were um, when the Trump economy was really uh, going full tilt. Um, uh, full employment uh, has been described as ranging somewhere from, say, uh, four to four and a half percent. Again, uh, we were beating that. Um, so a six percent, a six point one percent national rate is is too high, and we know that it can be lower, uh, but it's not the kind of catastrophic number uh, that uh, we've seen historically. Uh, we should talk about unemployment benefits, but let me you know point this yeah. out. Um, the uh, um, uh, 
we've got a $300 a week federal unemployment subsidy right now. Mm -hmm. uh, during the Great Recession, this was the downturn uh, at the end of the George W. Bush administration, at the start of the Obama administration. Um, unemployment uh, hit around 10%. It stayed up in the nines for, for, for a long, long time. time. But that federal benefit was just $25 a week. Um, going back to the Great Recession, people would have regarded 6.1% unemployment as actually really, really great headway, and it's a much better number than, as I said, people were projecting a year ago. So there was a lot of debate on that, and it's interesting. I, I, I pulled a story before we talked. Uh, recently, uh, Larry Summers, who was an economist in the Obama administration, he worked in the Treasury Department, the Clinton administration, he's well-recognized as kind of a center-left economist that's been out there. Uh, he wrote an article in the to the Washington Post that was publicly released uh, to make a statement just about the economy. There are several things that he jumped in there. Uh, he talked about inflation and what's happening in the economy, and that's really the, the essence of what he talked about. He said the consumer price index rose at 7.5% annual rate for the first quarter of this year. He said inflation expectation jumped the fastest rate since inflation index bonds were introduced a generation ago. And he said already consumer prices have risen almost as much as the Fed predicted for the whole year just in the first quarter of this year. Now, I, we're not talking about inflation today, but I would tell you that uh, back before the bill was passed, what was affectionately called the COVID bill at the beginning of this year, what Democrats pushed through is a very partisan bill. Uh, it had some COVID aspects, but it had a lot of economic things in it and a lot of stimulus in it. A lot of folks uh, on the left and on the right, as far as economists said, this is a bad idea because the economy is rising unemployment is dropping, it's the wrong time to be able to throw $2 trillion into economy, and it's certainly the wrong time to add $300 extra unemployment on top of the normal unemployment, because we saw that hap we saw the rise in employment happening and thought this would actually slow it down. President, Democrats just pushed back and said, nope, we're going to do this, it's needed in the economy, and we're going to do it. The result of that is what is now happening now, this rapid rise in inflation, so the price of lumber, the price of groceries, the price of gas, the price of housing, the, everything, the prices are going up rapidly because all the stimulus is in the economy and uh, people aren't returning to work. And again, there's been a lot of conversation. I've talked about this several times on the floor of the Senate. Uh, we've had a back and forth as a state on it. Our state has responded to this issue with our governor turning off uh, the employment issues. But let me just read this quote to you. Um, uh, Larry Summers writes, and, he's, and he makes recommendations, if we want to turn the economy around, he said this, he said, unemployment benefits enabling workers to earn more by not working rather than working should surely be allowed to run out in September when they're scheduled to run out. In some parts of the country, they should end sooner as they have in, uh, in Oklahoma. So he's basically saying, we have a problem here uh, that these extra benefits are causing an issue in the labor. What are you seeing in that? Um, it, it is a, these these benefits now really are a problem. Um, I think Congress, the president, uh, back in uh, March 2020, did an extraordinary thing with the CARES Act, which was a great act of bipartisanship in a time of crisis. And we were 15 percent unemployment at that, that time. That's right. right, and it did wonders, I think, to uh, protect people, uh, help families, and set us on the course to recovery. Uh, but that recovery ended up being more rapid than expected, and there really just was no justification for the kind of additional spending that, that we've seen, uh, particularly um, uh, under the new president. And uh, there were people warning at the time about inflation. I know you were concerned about it, and it, it's turned out worse than, than projected. Uh, on the jobs front particularly, uh, again, we've got a record number of job openings. Uh, that should, that's a very good sign ordinarily 
but there are clear indications that some number of people have decided uh, not to go back yet. Um, and some of them, there's no doubt, some of them because of the generous unemployment benefit. I, I personally know people <laughs> right. who've made that, uh, that calculus, which at times is the, the best judgment uh, for their family in the near term. Right. Um, and so, as I mentioned, uh, when we were at 9.3% uh, unemployment under President Obama, we ended the $25 a week federal plus up. Uh, a $300 uh, a week federal plus up, which is what we are scheduled to have through September, um, results, when you combine it with the state unemployment benefit, in uh, more than a $15 an hour job. A lot of jobs in our country, of course, do pay less than that. And, um, and those people often, uh, or at least in some significant number of cases, are going to decide, you know what, I'm going to not go back to the work workplace right away. Now, there are industries uh, where if we could give targeted relief, that would have been a good objective uh, a few months ago. Uh, we've talked about you know, what some of those industries are, like, you know, like tourism. Although now I think we've got hope for rapid healing there. But I think as long as we have this $300 a week unemployment benefit, it's going to do a couple of things. It will keep some people from getting back into the workforce who, who should be in the workforce. It will therefore make it hard for some businesses to grow. Uh, by the way, it could result in more automation. Hmm. Uh, Pre-COVID, I would meet with business people who would say, I don't want to automate, but I can't find workers. I'll have to. Uh, and so I think uh, we'll see more of that. And then another consequence, in addition to inhibiting growth, is uh, workers' skills will atrophy. Um, right. They'll be out of the workforce for a while and uh, they'll not have the skills uh, that we would want them to have. So I think these unemployment plus-ups uh, were very well intended. It, it would have been good to see them more targeted. It would have been really good, by the way, to see uh, an investment in correcting the incredibly dysfunctional state uh, unemployment computer systems, which mm -hmm. have uh, produced all kinds of problems. Uh, but uh, the $300 week plus-up, I mean, it, it really should be ended. And, uh, that the president has a number of agenda items for the current Congress. I think that uh, one that he should revisit now is, is that plus up. Yeah, I, we, we do too, and we've been pushing on that. Our state has uh, determined that that's going to end in the mm -hmm. end of June, uh, and that will go away. So there's a fade out portion on that, and there's that fact there's actually an incentive to be able to go back to the workplace. Yeah, and if I could comment briefly sure. on that, um, now t I think 22 uh, governors have said we just don't need this plus up because we've gotten unemployment down much lower and. Uh, and in fact, uh, our businesses are struggling to uh, find workers, and so we don't need it. And that makes good sense on their part. The problem, though, is, uh, and this has concerned me for a while, uh, we've got red states funding blue states' uh, right. unemployment rates. You know, come back to New York, California, why are they over 8% unemployment? Uh, probably their lockdowns have hurt their economies a bit. But I think also those are high tax, high regulatory environments. That's probably inhibiting growth. Is it right? for Oklahomans through their taxes to be funding uh, the policies in New York or California that are hurting jobs in those states. So that's a problem that exists even with Oklahoma making that sensible decision. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's the fun of us all being interconnected uh, on it. So th th this is a crystal ball question for you. You've dealt with labor I'm good law. I'm uh, great. <laughs> uh, so you dealt with labor law and labor trends for decades at this point. Uh, so as you look at as we walk through COVID and all that's happened, both with unemployment uh, and all the issues there, and I am completely committed to people getting a job. That is the ticket out of poverty for folks. People don't rise out of poverty on government benefits. Government benefits are designed to be able to help them through a low point to be able to get them to employment so they can rise out of poverty. 
Uh, so it's a, it's a safety net issue, not a long-term issue. Uh, but that safety net, if people stay there, uh, it actually damages their family. As you mentioned, their skills atrophy. I think it's a bad example for their kids right. and for their families. I understand why some people are choosing to be able to stay from the workplace at this point, but it really does have long-lasting effects of it. So that, that's one trend on it. The other trend is how many people did remote, remote work during the last year, and a lot of companies have said there's no way we could do remote work, that suddenly they did it for a year. And so there's a lot of that conversation going on. And as you mentioned before, automation uh, to try to figure out how to be able to manage this. So there's a lot that's happened in the last year uh, that will change our labor and our employment in the years to come. Crystal ball this out for me. What, what, what does this look like in the future and where do you see the trends going? Yeah, you know, just one last comment on uh, work and unemployment. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I uh, as labor secretary would say, our, our first choice for workers is work. That that's our first choice. We're not against an unemployment system, but our first choice is to get people back to work because that's what's best for them, their families, uh, and the country. Sometimes that was interpreted as being against unemployment. We're not, yeah. um, but we, we see uh, the dignity and the worth that comes from work, uh, among other things. Um, COVID has accelerated things. It's been an accelerant. We've seen how it's hastened a number of changes that were already underway. When we look at the workplace, remote work is one of those changes mm -hmm. that was already underway. Um, I think one of the good stories in COVID was uh, how much we were able to do working remotely. At the Labor Department, most of uh, our staff were working remotely. Uh, not our inspectors, not the senior leadership team, but many of our people. And we were actually able to maintain a much higher level of productivity than we thought. And I think a lot of businesses had that experience. So I think we'll see more remote work uh, for good now. Uh, and that is a change that will have impacts on and, and commercial it, real estate. And you think it's permanent for people that you think they'll still stay close to the office or you think as there's been some conversation, I, I talked to someone in Woodward, Oklahoma, uh, not long ago that said, we, we have great internet service in this particular area. We think we can attract people that are in the Silicon Valley right now that want to get out of Silicon Valley and to come to open spaces and to just be able to live among normal folks and would come to Woodward to be able to be here, though their employer is Silicon Valley, they would live in Woodward. Do you think that's a trend that's gonna actually accelerate? Um, I mean, we are certainly seeing that. We're seeing people uh, working for firms based in the coast, but, but um, moving into the heartland. And um, uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm confident what will continue at the same pace that's happening now, but I think there will be more flexibility. You'll have uh, somebody uh, working in Manhattan, wants to come home to Oklahoma, and the company says, we can't afford to lose you, let's find a way to make this work remotely. Right. I think that's good. Uh, having said all of that, uh, I, I do believe that um, the, the bonds that uh, lead to a strong corporate culture, uh, that uh, result in the best mentoring, uh, often that happens in person. And mm -hmm. I think that businesses are seeing that, um, and, and I think that businesses are uh, most of them eager to get people back together at least a lot of the time, okay. but not all the time. So there's going to be more flexibility. I think there will be smaller uh, office footprints, um, uh, more remote work, but um, nothing like what we've seen pre uh, recently. And, and uh, let me add this, because I think it's important in understanding what's going on in the economy right now. Remote work has uh, been wonderful for the coasts um, and for professionals in this country. But there's been a divide in how COVID has been experienced. Right. And we've had um, well-to-do professionals uh, at home, in their vacation homes, carrying on a lot like they were before uh, throughout the country, Oklahoma, uh, uh, the rest of the country. We've had people 
going to work, going to the factory, right. delivering packages, working in restaurants, or uh, wor wor working in restaurants, working in groceries throughout the, the pandemic. And uh, I'd like to see the professionals come back into the cities. DC is still empty because there are many jobs that are dependent on their being there. And I think that it, it would be good to see yeah. people come back to work. It was always interesting to me throughout the entire year of the pandemic, the number of people that would say, everyone just needs to stay at home and that's best for everybody to be able to protect it. And then they would go home and they would order from Uber Eats <laughs> right. and have somebody deliver their food, or they would order from you know somewhere to be able to deliver their groceries from Instacart, uh, and then they would try to go to a convenience store and they would expect there to be a worker there, and they go to a grocery store and expect, but they think they need to stay at home and everyone else needs yeah. to stay at home, but it's other people need to do that work. You're right, manufacturing still continued, uh, uh, customer service still continued, uh, many of our schools stayed open through the whole time, some closed, but many of them around the state stayed open. Uh, so th this engagement that I see uh, it was interesting throughout the whole pandemic time period and what we saw. Uh, speaking of Uber Eats and Instacart and some of those, I want to bring this up to you because this is a trend issue for us as well. That labor force, that's contract labor force, there's been some debate back and forth on whether they're employees, whether they're contractors, what's the trend of that. Uh, my, uh, my daughter recently moved to a new place uh, where she lives and some folks that are tracking this podcast will not believe that my daughter who they're used to seeing is this little girl and now lives on her own and everything else. She moved to a new place and she contracted a moving company that the moving company basically ran like Uber. Uh, that mm -hmm. you just put it out there that you wanted to be able to move and people basically bid on uh, being able to come in and be the movers and then they came in and were the movers and picked up and moved it. And it was like lining up an Uber ride. Uh, was very, very different. Uh, and for me as a dad, I was like, does that work? And she was like, of course it did. Uh, it was no big deal for her and worked out fine. But there's more and more of the workforce out there that they may have one job and they've got a side hustle where they want to be able to pick up and do something else or they want to just have flexibility to be able to turn their own hours on and off for their own family. That's a real shift in how labor works. That's not the nine to five clock in with a time uh, punch card uh, from decades and decades ago. Uh, it's a real flexibility that people, and a lot of people really like that, but there's a lot of dispute about that. So walk me through a little bit about where, where do you see that going? What are the challenges to that? Um, the economy you're describing is really one of the uh, wonderful things that's happened uh, in the last uh, really just, what, five, six years, that right. platform-based economy where uh, you can have an Uber, a DoorDash, or the like, um, providing uh, services uh, in, a, in a different way uh, that's uh, a wonderful benefit to the uh, uh, recipient of that service, but gives the worker you know, more flexibility, autonomy uh, than they've experienced in the past. We, uh, when I was at the Labor Department, adopted a rule regarding independent contractors uh, uh, to make it clear that uh, there were legitimate independent contractor relationships that should not be permitted uh, to be treated as uh, employment relationships. They weren't. They, these were people who had their own businesses, they wanted that flexibility, independence, freedom. We received wonderful comments when we put the rule together from, say, Uber drivers, who said, this is a real uh, you know, great lifestyle I'm able to have. We received comments from working mothers who said, I've got a flexibility now in the gig economy that I didn't have before. But you've got uh, opponents to that economy. Labor unions uh, are very hostile because they'd like to be able to organize uh, some of these workers, and to do that, they have to characterize them as employees California enacted legislation a couple years ago that really tried to end that economy and to say that all of these people actually are employees. Uber said we won't be able to function in that model. The California voters ultimately rejected it. That debate's now moving to Congress. Uh, the PRO Act, which you know, 
is uh, legislation that tries to do a number of things to really turn the clock back to the 1930s. Is, it's, it's a very backward-looking piece of legislation. Uh, but I think one of its consequences would be to try to disrupt that very vibrant economy that's um, wonderful for consumers, it's leading to all kinds of jobs and growth, and is giving workers some uh, independence. And let me, you know, hasten to add, um, th those workers uh, should not be abused. People who are actually employees should not be uh, uh, mischaracterized right. as independent contractors. Those things need to be policed, but not in the way that the PRO Act would do or that the California legislature wanted to try to do. And the PRO Act has already passed the House of Representatives. Right. They sent it over to the Senate. And um, obviously, Leader Schumer is the one who actually sets the calendar, has not put that on the calendar yet. But I've been pretty outspoken to say that's the wrong direction to go. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do believe we need to allow the flexibility out there of workforce. So many people do enjoy picking up a second job that's flexible or as a working mom or working dad to say, I want to be able to have a schedule that I can pick myself and I can decide when I'm on and when I'm off. Uh, and how much I want to be able to do based on my family needs at that moment, or folks that are retired that said I did something else entirely different, and when I'm retired, I want to work you know 15 hours a week and want to be able to do that and uh, be able to set my own schedule uh, when I do it on retirement. It gives them that opportunity to do it. Yeah, uh, you know, President Biden came in um, with a kind of a, a, a wonderful template for a great economy. It was the economy that existed pre-COVID. And uh, I think a very far-sighted and strategic way to look at the situation would have been to say, wow, uh, that 3.5% unemployment uh, economy with rising wages, particularly for uh, lower-income workers, people without a, a college degree, for uh, African-Americans, uh, women, it was an amazing economy for people who historically hadn't done so well. Uh, a strategic approach would have said, that's the economy I want. Right. How, how did we get there? Well, we got there through low tax rates, we got there through deregulation. But unfortunately, just in the first few months, because of a particular ideology, we've got uh, the administration hauling off in the totally opposite direction. And, and, and you see early warning signs, the inflation that you were talking about, the, uh, the stalling that we saw in job creation. Hopefully that changes. Yeah, so. I, I hope it does change. And right now we're watching an economy trying to get back to what it was in the 2019 time period uh, with entirely different dynamics uh, that are there. But this rapid acceleration that is occurring in an economy is because obviously it's, it's significantly slowed down uh, in a lot of sectors. And we saw some sectors that actually produced more during COVID because they had to and be able to keep up with the pandemic. But now there are other sectors that are trying to be able to catch up and we'll see uh, if this administration is going to move into, no, we need to regulate more, regulate more, which will slow it down. And we need to tax more, tax more, tax more, which causes people to not hire. Uh, the uh, 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act uh, there are a lot of figures that show the corporate tax changes that happened. Predominantly, the money that was saved by the companies went to employees. Uh, they increased wages. They increased benefits with that money. It was a significant help to employees. Now, if you increase taxes on companies, they're going to decide, okay, what, what am I going to do less of? Uh, if I have to pay more tax in this area, what am I going to do less of? And often that's going to be wages. I'm going to hire fewer people, and I'm going to pay less wages, and I'm going to do fewer benefits. And uh, if that happens, that will obviously have a dramatic effect as well. So we're continuing to be able to talk about things and to be able to push things in the Senate to say, let's let's don't kill the golden goose. Right, exactly. Uh, let's try to be able to keep things moving in our economy and uh, put the least hand that we have to on the economy and let people actually innovate. Because innovations like Uber and Lyft and Instacart and DoorDash and all those things didn't happen by some government idea. 
that's the innovation of American people actually dreaming and thinking, what if, uh, and it starts to occur. Yeah. There was a, uh, a pair of economic reports that came out um, summer 2020, which showed how um, the uh, wage gap between the highest earners and lowest was widening under President Obama, who you know, cast himself as a real champion of the lower income worker. Uh, but when President Trump came in, it narrowed. And what happened was people at the lowest income levels saw uh, near record increases in net worth or median household income, while it stayed relatively level at the top end. So what we saw uh, during that Trump economy was actually more opportunity at the lower end, narrowing that gap. And I think what we're seeing now is the Trump economy has been reasserting itself. Will new policies suppress that economy? Right. That's the question. Yeah, that's the unknown for the future. Yeah. Gina, I really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thanks. I really yeah. appreciate it. You've got a busy law practice and a lot going on right now. Uh, post being Secretary of Labor, there is life past that for you. And uh, you continue to be able to engage in all these issues. We really appreciate the dialogue and the conversation on it. I appreciate any input you can continue to be able to share uh, because you have a unique experience and background uh, in these areas. So I, I, thanks for getting a chance to be able to join uh, the breakdown today to be able to talk through all this. For folks that are listening or watching, because we're doing by video as well today, uh, for folks that are listening or watching, thanks for joining in the, into the dialogue. Uh, again, you can continue to be able to join us in conversations like this by subscribing at all the different platforms for your favorite podcasts. Uh, you can do a subscription to the breakdown there as well. You can also track us on social media at Senator Langford at any of the social media platforms. I just encourage you to not believe every comment that you read uh, on all the social media platforms and uh, would encourage you to just stay in contact with us. You can go to our website, langford.senate.gov. And uh, that's the place where you can call us, you can email us, stay in contact with any of our offices. We are open, we're not wearing masks, we're heavily vaccinated and ready to be able to just have dialogue with you uh, on the issues of the day. So thanks for joining in, look forward to the ongoing conversation in the days ahead. Gene, thanks again for your leadership. Well, always a pleasure. I was an admirer of yours when I was at the Labor Department. It's really good to spend some time again. Yeah, it's good to spend some time. God bless y'all, thanks again for listening.